everyone. Welcome to The Science of Beauty. I'm Michelle Lee, the Editor-in-Chief of Allure. And I'm Jenny Bailly, Executive Beauty Director. On this podcast, we're going to be diving deep on the science behind beauty and the products that we're always talking about and testing here at Allure. And today, to start the episode, we're going to be taking a little trip back in time across the Atlantic Ocean to Majorca. Okay, I'm always down for a vacation, but especially right now. Okay, well, it's 2002. I'm 26, and I'm in Majorca with Erwin. He was my boyfriend then and now my husband. And we were going to be visiting his cousin and his girlfriend who had a house there. And for anyone who's never been to Majorca, it is this beautiful island off the coast of Spain, right next to Ibiza. And at this time, 18 years ago, not many people really were there. So you'd go and just see the clearest water. They had these gorgeous, gorgeous swimming holes. Oh, it sounds like a dream. Oh, it's one of my absolute favorite places on the whole planet. But when I was in my 20s, I loved soaking up the sun. I loved getting a tan, and I look good with a tan, and I still look good with a tan. Um, When I was in Majorca, though, I knew exactly what I was going to be doing. You were going to get a tan. Oh, yeah. And I did. I barely wore any sunscreen, and I was out in the sun the whole trip, pretty much the whole time, about 10 days. I think I know what's coming. Yeah. So when I got home, I started to notice spots, um, just a couple at first, and then more all over my cheeks. And I didn't know it at first, but that one trip to Majorca, that one awesome week and a half in the sun had basically changed my skin maybe forever. And what was happening to my skin is what we're going to be talking about on this episode today, hyperpigmentation. That's right. We both have it, Michelle, and we both know what a tricky beast it can be to tame. I personally have melasma, which basically means that parts of my face are darker than others. It's a a pigmentation that kind of comes up in patches. So for me, it started when I was pregnant with my first child 10 years ago, I noticed it's almost like I had kind of patches of dirt on my face or something. Like at first I was trying to scrub it off and then I realized, no, it was not going anywhere. Um, And then it got worse with my second pregnancy and now it's just kind of part of my life. Michelle, you've said that's something you can definitely relate to. I definitely can. I mean, what I love is what my mom has. My mom has adorable freckles. Like if you think about Lucy Liu, right? Like every all my friends who are Asian, they're like, they call it Asian freckles. And everybody wants Asian freckles because they're so cute. For me, I guess you could call them freckles, but they're like larger. So I wear foundation every single day. And I think because I look at myself on filters a lot through Instagram and like right now I'm looking at you over Zoom and I have the pretty filter on. So once I'm not on the pretty filter, I'm sort of like, oh my God, I see my spots so much. It's so much more obvious now because we're constantly staring at ourselves like on screens and mirrors and everything. Um, So yeah, I've had hyperpigmentation for 17 years probably. You know, with certain hyperpigmentation, like you were saying, you wear foundation every day. And I definitely, you know, when we were going into the office every day, I was wearing more makeup and would wear foundation. But melasma is so patchy, it almost causes a muddiness in the foundation. Like you can't really completely cover it up. And you wouldn't use concealer. It's kind of too big of a surface area for concealer. I know. I've I've tried a ton of skincare. I've tried lasers. I've tried a bit of everything. And it all works a little bit. And then you go in the sun. Oh, the sun, the sun. And it's funny because we actually went back last summer. And so 18 years later with two kids in tow, went back to Majorca 
And this time around, I slathered myself in sunscreen. And it's just funny to think about now because it's such a different experience where I, in the morning, washed my face, put on my daily sunscreen, put it all over my body. We would go to the beach. I sat under shade or an umbrella the entire time. If we went in the water, I kind of went in for a little bit, but then rushed back out, got under the shade. I just am so much more intense now about sunscreen, about sun protection, just because I know one, like the risks of skin cancer, but also because I just don't want any more spots. You know, when you noticed those spots forming after that first trip and, you know, the months and years went by and you realized that they were probably permanent, how how did you feel? I think I was in a little bit of disbelief because I didn't think that they were permanent. Like I have a bunch of beauty marks on my face and those are really dark. So some of those actually developed after this trip to Majorca and I thought, oh God, what if I just created these like really dark moles or beauty marks all over my face? But then for the ones that were a little bit more faded, I think I thought at the time, oh, okay, I'll just use a product and those will come right off. So it wasn't until maybe like a year or two later when I realized, okay, these are not coming off at all. Yeah. So there was this study that Procter & Gamble had done many years ago. And I remember it getting a lot of attention because they had found that if you don't have discoloration in your skin, if you have a, a more even skin tone, you can be perceived to be as much as 20 years younger I know that feeling. As the discoloration keeps getting worse and worse, you look in the mirror and you're like, who is that? How many sunburns do you think you've gotten in your lifetime? Oh, God. Real burns, like blistering and peeling? I'd say five or six. Oh, wow. Although maybe I need to go back and ask my mom and she'll be like, um, 15. But I think <laughs> I think five or six. You know, I would say before my teenage years, I got a little smarter. Yeah, it's hard because it's like that in a way is its own warning system that it's sort of like, okay, you need to be careful because you burn with me and the rest of my family too, like my husband, my kids, none of us burn. So I think that we have this false sense of security in a way that, oh, it's okay for us to stay out for hours and hours and hours and we'll be okay because we won't burn. And it's not true. And I think, you know, dermatologists are always telling us that the more pigment in your skin, the more issues you can have with pigment in your skin that, you know, so many women and men with brown or black skin are seeing the doctor for for pigment problems. And from what I understand, pigment problems, hyperpigmentation, it comes back every time to melanin and melanin production. It absolutely does. So we're going to deep dive into that right after the break. Okay, we are back. And today on the podcast, we're talking all about hyperpigmentation, how it forms and why. And to talk through that, we called upon an expert, Dr. Mona Gohara. She's a dermatologist and associate clinical professor at Yale, and she knows all about hyperpigmentation. So we would love to start out today by talking about melanin. I think it's a word a lot of us are familiar with, but maybe don't know exactly what it is and how it affects the color of our skin and hyperpigmentation. So could you walk us through melanin? I really do think it is magic. I'm not just saying that. I think melanin is magic because it's kind of our um, our protection against ultraviolet light from mother nature. So every single one of us has melanin and it's the pigment in our skin that protects us from ultraviolet light. And it comes from these little tiny factories in our 
um, epidermis, which is the top layer of skin called melanocytes. So all of us have these tiny little pigment factories called melanocytes that produce pigment, the melanin. But my melanocytes are just kind of overproducing melanin so that I'm darker than you, Jenny. So your melanocytes produce less melanin. We have the same number of factories. It's just that your factories produce less than my factories. But you're like, you know, long leg, gorgeous long leg factory, definitely one in that department. <laughs> Some of my factories so are, listen, are working. We're, we're, right. We're all, we, listen, we all have different gifts. <laughs> wow. So is it... Is it all genetic or can the amount that your melanin factories produce change at some point in your life? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So the amount of melanin that gets produced can change based on our external triggers, right? So ultraviolet light can trigger us to produce more melanin, and that is what we all call a tan. When we get tan, our melanocytes are churning out that melanin. Our kind of genetic features are set in our DNA. You know, we can produce more melanin based on external stimulants. Throughout, throughout our life. Those also can trigger melasma and increase melanin. Dr. Gohar, can you tell us exactly what melasma is? Yeah, melasma is a blotchy um, discoloration that commonly happens on the forehead, the cheeks, the chin, or sometimes even the arms that comes about generally from some type of hormonal influence, um, such as the birth control pill or pregnancy and some light source, uh, usually ultraviolet A. We know it can also come about from computer screens and the blue light from computer screens and cell phone screens. So wearing sunscreen inside is of um, particular importance. Dr. Gohara, can we zoom out more broadly for a minute beyond just melasma and answer the bigger question, what is hyperpigmentation? Yeah, so hyperpigmentation is the point in time wherein your melanocytes, your little pigment producing factories have decided that it's time to work overtime. They've decided that it's time to churn out more melanin. And they do that when they feel threatened, when they're triggered to do that. Because again, think of melanin, I always call it the protective pigment. And so when your skin is threatened by some type of light source, the melanocytes are like, oh no, it's on like Donkey Kong and they start producing melanin. And so when your skin is like, um, I can't, you know, this ultraviolet light is threatening the health, my health, the health of my skin. The melanocytes are smart enough to go into overdrive and produce a tan to protect you so you don't burn. Is melanin also something that's protective against wrinkles? Yes. So this is such a good point, Michelle. I'm so glad you asked this. So again, if you were to kind of compare the, um, the process which the skin changes with time between a Caucasian woman or a brown or, or black woman, the Caucasian woman's timeline towards wrinkles or any type of um, sagging of the skin or thinning of the skin is about 10 years earlier than the brown or black woman. And that's because of the protective effects of melanin. And so I remember there was one study that actually showed that five times more ultraviolet light gets through to the um, dermis, which is the second layer of skin in Caucasian skin as opposed to brown or black skin. That's a significant amount. So that's precisely why also brown and black women and men are less likely to get skin cancer because of the protective effect of melanin. Um, but we can get it still. And if we do get it, it's, it, we all know it's usually diagnosed later and more deadly. So 
that message I think should be loud and clear that skin cancer is ubiquitous and it's not something that discriminates. So hyperpigmentation is probably the number one, two, and three reason I see brown and black women in my office, whether that has to do with um, post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation after acne or um, melasma, or just kind of like as her skin is changing with time, um, again, you know, if a, if a white woman was coming in talking to me about her wrinkles, a brown or black woman may be coming in talking to me about her uneven skin tone. I want to take a second to talk about keloids, which are also different between white people and people of color, right? Dr. Gohara, what are keloids and how are they different from regular scars? Great question. So keloids are actually overproduction of collagen in response to trauma in the skin. So a regular scar oftentimes is flat. Um, a keloid can be raised or firm because it's you know this ball of collagen. Anyone who's had a C-section, for example, it may not just be along the line of the C-section. It may actually expand below or above the, the, the line. And how does your skin tone correspond to whether you keloid? Keloiding is much more likely to happen in brown and black skin. And so as a doctor, Michelle, when somebody comes in my office, before I will touch them with a laser, I want to know how they scar and if they hyperpigment after they get a um, pimple or after they, because that's going to tell me a lot about whether I can use a certain laser on them, not just how they respond to ultraviolet light. Because if I ask that, if I ask a brown person, how do you respond to ultraviolet light? She may say, you know, I tan, but if I ask her how, what, how she responds after she gets a pimple, she's, she will very likely say, you know, I get hyperpigmentation, I get brown. I would be very reticent to use certain lasers in that situation. I think it's really important actually for our listeners to be self-advocating when you go in for cosmetic procedures, if you are going in for cosmetic procedures and volunteer to the doctor, if she doesn't ask or if he doesn't ask, how your skin responds to trauma. Both of those things are me. Um, if I get a pimple, it leaves a dark spot and I keloid. And do you know why, Dr. Kohara, you'd mentioned keloiding, why it's more common in people with more melanin in their skin? There are certain fundamental differences between brown skin and white skin, one of which is what we just talked about, different levels of melanin production, same number of melanocytes. The second is there's a little tiny cell in the second layer of skin called fibroblasts. And our fibroblasts are a little bit kind of like more prominent and kind of churn out collagen a little bit more, which is another protective thing against wrinkles, by the way. So my dad was a cardiothoracic surgeon. And so he would, you know, back in the day, they would do these sternal scars and he would always see brown and black people keloid. It's just much more common because we have um, more collagen and collagen makes you more likely to not wrinkle but two keloid. Yeah, I've had knee surgery, ankle surgery. I've got big scars on both. So going back to hyperpigmentation, how does hyperpigmentation compare to a sunburn or other damage that can be triggered by sun exposure? So a sunburn is the toxic insult to the skin. If you like took like a little biopsy of um, a, the skin when you have a sunburn, you're gonna see dead skin cells. They're called sunburn cells and they're dead. Whereas the hyperpigmentation is actually like a proactive state where the skin is actually trying to protect itself. Got it. So the hyperpigmentation is the reaction. I feel like if we rebranded sunburn as toxic insult, more people would wear sunscreen. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But 
in terms of treating hyperpigmentation, I think people need to stop thinking about sunscreen as, uh, you know, I mean, it's a treatment. It's part of our like, like medicinal armamentarium to treat hyperpigmentation. It's not, you know, cause you, you ain't getting nowhere without your sunscreen. And so, um, and especially, you know, and then there's nuances within the sunscreen. Like when you are in front of your screen and if you have melasma from, um, you know, a screen, you have to make sure that you have a tinted sunscreen because it has to have iron oxides in it to protect you against the visible light and the blue lights coming from your screens. So um, my recommendation to my patients these days is to everybody to be wearing like a tinted mineral sunscreen in or outdoors because that's going to protect you against your computer screen, your light. That's what my recommendation is to my patients. Do you have a favorite one that you use? I really love La Roche-Posay, the tinted ultralight mineral fluid. I don't like the terms like, um, especially when it's directed at brown and black skin, I don't like the terms like invisible or like, um, I don't know, there are all these terms that are kind of like, well, but we're not invisible. Like, how about you just make it our skin tone? You know, (laughs) so tinted is good. So it's like tinted. um, La Roche-Posay is really nice. It's a good one. And it absorbs very quickly. And I think it's really compatible. There's with, there's a lot of blendability and compatible with a lot of different skin tones. Yes, that's so important. It's crazy how tough it still is to find a sunscreen that doesn't get chalky on darker skin. Now, one of my favorite sunscreens for brown and black skin, although it's not a mineral sunscreen, but it's a sunscreen called Black Girl Sunscreen. And Black Girl Sunscreen was actually uh, made by a young woman. Her name is Shantae Lunde who I think is a marketing genius because she's like, black girls need sunscreen. So I'm going to make a sunscreen (laughs) called black girl sunscreen. And it's super cosmetically elegant. It goes on the skin really nicely. um, And I love it. And Dr. Gohara, we always hear that hydroquinone is really the gold standard ingredient among dermatologists um, when it comes to treating excess pigmentation. But can you tell us what exactly hydroquinone is as an ingredient? Okay. So hydroquinone actually, so it blocks one of the enzymes that is absolutely critical for melanin to be produced. And there are other fading ingredients such as like licorice root extract is a really common one you'd see in a lot of creams. Um, Soy, niacinamide is another common one. Um, You know, other antioxidants like vitamin C or or, um, kojic acid is a really big one. Berry extract is another one. But none of them quite is kind of badass as hydroquinone. It's not that hydroquinone is bleaching or lightening your whole skin. It just really is targeting the overproduction, right? It's over the overproduction. So if, if melanocytes are factories, like you were saying before, hydroquinone kind of puts those factories out of business, like it stops them from being able to produce? Yes. Great, great. Yes, great analogy. All right, Dr. Gohara, we have some questions now for you. Hi, it's Thea from Queens. So I originally moved here from the Philippines four years ago, and I started noticing that because of the climate difference that I got more acne. And because I have dark skin, I've gotten more acne scars and hyperpigmentation. So do you have any recommendations on products to use to get rid of these acne scars or hyperpigmentation? Thanks. The best thing you can do is get a sunscreen that you're comfortable with that fits into your um, daily routine. Um, You can try using an antioxidant in the morning. My favorite is vitamin C. 
Um, and serums are highly concentrated. You just have to use a little and they're really cosmetically elegant so you can layer them. Um, and then um, a retinoid. I really like the use of retinoids. We just use a tiny bit, like a pea-sized amount over your whole face and work up gradually and moisturize after you use. But those three ingredients, I would say sunscreen, vitamin C, and retinoids are the three ingredients that I would try prior to prescription. Protection from light sources is, I cannot emphasize that enough. It's not enough to just to put it on in the morning. You have to reapply it throughout the day if you're really being diligent about it. And, um, and make sure that you have, you're applying enough. Can I ask you a question? Um, okay, so at night, a lot of us sit around with our cell phones. I know I do. I wash my face. I take my sunscreen off. Should I be wearing sunscreen at night when I'm on my phone? Michelle, you probably have identified where we're getting most of our, like, that's probably where we're getting most of it, actually, is like when it's like close to our face at night when we've already washed our faces. So I guess the theoretical answer is yes but nobody's doing that. Another reason to get off our phones at night. Maybe vanity will get us off our phones at night. (laughs) Yeah. Hi, I'm Lauren from Tennessee. And for the past 10 years, I would say I've suffered uh, from really bad acne, both on my T-zone and along my jawline. On my jawline, it's definitely been more cystic and hormonal. And so I've suffered a lot from acne scars, um, post-acne marks, a lot of redness, hyperpigmentation, all of that stuff. Um, And I've tried a lot of serums and creams to uh, to fade those marks, but nothing has really worked the way I've wanted it to. Um, I'm wanting to ask my derm about some more advanced treatments, and I was wondering if you had any suggestions on what I should bring up to my derm. Yeah, it's going to be a combination of a, like a resurfacing laser of some type. Sometimes very, very deep chemical peels that only like very trained board-certified dermatologists could, could do. And then after that, just like, you know, kind of like borderline neurotic, like protection against light, because even with that, it can just kind of come back. And again, that's not going to be a viable option for like a lot of people financially and from a skin tone perspective, you know, somebody with brown skin, brown or black skin, that may, that's just going to be really hard to do. Because they would risk more pigmentation. Exactly. Exactly. And are we talking about multiple visits? It definitely, um, yeah, at least kind of one mega visit. But if you want to do like a multiple visit thing, like a clear and brilliant, I think would be a good kind of um, middle, uh, a middle ground to do something like that. Got it. All right. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Dr. Gohara. Thanks, guys. This was so much fun. All right, Jenny, time for us to talk about our product recommendations. What do you use for hyperpigmentation? I am pretty religious about using every morning under my sunscreen. I put on the SkinCeuticals CE Ferulic Serum, about five or six drops on my face and neck. I would say it's maybe the number one most recommended dermatologist um, vitamin C product. Every time we interview a dermatologist, they say they use it. So I have followed their lead over the years. Um, And then of course, sunscreen, sunscreen, sunscreen. And at night, I use a retinol to help just exfoliate away that dead skin that that can make you look dull and help with with the excess pigment. I like the um, Olay has a night serum. It's the Regenerist Retinol 24 Max. 
I think it's called, but it's a retinol that really has not irritated me despite the Max name. Um, and Shawnee Darden, a great facialist in LA, she also makes a retinol product called Retinol Reform that I often will use at night. And then for the big guns, I have... Um, when I've gone to the dermatologist to treat my hyperpigmentation, I've used for a few weeks at a time a prescription um, hydroquinone, retinoid, and cortisone mix um, that does really help to to lighten things up. Got it. And then for me, I think it, it sounds like our routines are a little bit similar because I really like the Drunk Elephant C and Ferulic, which I think is sim- somewhat similar to the SkinCeuticals one. Um, so I use that every day. I normally do use retinol too, but I'm still breastfeeding, so I'm not using that. Um, and then I'm a, I'm definitely a big fan of Revive, I think, because I'm mentioning another Revive product. Um, so I use the Revive Dark Spot Corrector pretty much every day. Um, I don't use it all over my face, though. I'll do like one or two pumps and then just concentrate it around my cheeks, which is where most of my hyperpigmentation is. And then I am a big fan of exfoliating regularly because I think that definitely helps quite a bit. Um, I'm cooling it on the chemical exfoliants right now because, again, I'm breastfeeding. So, But normally I'll do um, the Dr. Dennis Gross peel pads or some sort of a resurfacing mask. All right, so that's it for this episode of The Science of Beauty. Thanks so much for joining us. Come back next week when we'll be talking about everyone's favorite holes on their face, pores. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to rate and leave us a review and subscribe to the podcast. It helps new listeners find the show. You can find additional information and episode references in the show notes. Follow Allure on Instagram at Allure, and I'm at Hey Michelle Lee, and Jenny is at J by E, B A I L L Y. On our audio team, our lead producer is Carla Green, executive producer is Shara Morris, associate producer is Kate Mishkin, and sound engineer is Scott Somerville. On the Allure team, the editorial leads are Soyini Driscoll and Diana Mazone. Lead researcher is Julie Risavudo, and project manager is Monica Perry. The theme music is by Asha Ivanovich. Special thanks to Julie Shen and Neon Hum.